Australians have always had a soft spot for the rotary engine and here in Australia the rotary drag racing records are for fiercely fought over. Behind me is Steve Barnett's Mazda 6 which currently holds the record as being the second fastest rotary, or 13B I should say, powered vehicle in Australia. It's gone as quick as a 653 at, is it 213 mile? 213, yeah it's done 213 before. While rotary engines have no problem making huge amounts of power, sometimes reliability can be their weak point. So we're here with John from John Blanche Engines to find out a little bit more about building a reliable drag racing rotary engine. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So, sorry John, it's actually John Blanche Racing, but John Blanche Racing, we, we John get there Blanche in the engine, same thing. Alright, so I think one of the things that we've seen over the years is the piston versus rotary uh, battles. Yep. There's a huge amount of aftermarket part support in the piston engine world. And particularly if we look at the top of the import heap, the Toyota 2J, yep. uh, now basically everyone running five second passes with those engines is running a, a billet block. And with rotary engines we just haven't seen so much development in the aftermarket until maybe the last few years and one of the uh, weak points in the rotary engine has always been the plates. Can you talk us through what those plates actually are and why they fail? Well the factory plates were always cast iron and Mazda did a really kick-ass job of designing them for a passenger car. They were never designed to do the kind of thing that all these race guys are doing with them. Um, 300 horsepower factory engine, guys are pushing these 13Bs now up around 1500 and the plates were just, the plates would handle it but if you had a whoopsie with a tune up the plates would break and everything else around it would break and uh, since these billet plates are available now, the, the, the horsepower that you can reliably make um, and repeatably make has allowed everybody to push so much harder and the rotary is now able to compete with you know a lot of the piston engines we've got our billet parts we can push the envelope a lot further now with these billet plates now, I just want to go back there. You said that the, the cast plates, as you mentioned, obviously designed around a 300 horsepower engine. So yep. it's amazing that people even got above 1,000 horsepower with these factory parts anyway. At, at the sort of power levels, 1,300 plus horsepower, could you actually make that power with a cast plate at all? Or were you just running an absolute razor wire as terms of how long it would last at that sort of power level? Uh, Yes, you could make the power, no problems at all. The billet plates aren't going to make you any more power. The advantage of the billet plate is it's more forgiving. So if the car has a misfire or a bang or you miss your tune up a little bit, the billet plate can handle the, the shock and the stress, whereas the cast plate would immediately crack and then everything would turn to shit. So uh, the billet plate has... It, it allows you to get more runs, more more time to be working with the engine. It's not a matter of, whoops, pull the engine out, we've got to put another plate in. Um, 
power-wise, they're the same. You're not going to magically make another few hundred horsepower, but you will be able to consistently beat on the engine a lot harder and a lot longer without it having a failure. I just want to come back to a point you just touched on there as well and I think again for those who are watching maybe not familiar with rotary drag racing, the rotary engine makes huge amounts of power but you tend to have a very narrow window where the tune-up is going to, to work and be reliable and outside of that window it's very, very easy to hurt a rotary engine. I think probably, well, a piston engine still, you need to be on top of your tune-up. It's probably, it's fair to say, there's a slightly wider safety window with your tune-up on a piston engine versus a rotary. Do you think that's that's reasonable to say? Yeah, that, that is exactly right. Um, on a piston engine, it can have a ping or a rattle and you can hear it and then go back to the pits and go, oh, okay, we need to take a little bit of timing out and add a little bit more fuel and you, you get out of jail. On a rotary, if you hear it ping or rattle, you may as well go back and take the engine out because it's already, it's already damaged. So when you're tuning your rotary stuff, you always need to be on that safe side and I guess it's sort of, um, it, it's a fine line between how close you want to go to that dangerous edge or how if you want to stay on the safe side um, and that's the difference between when guys are going fast and when they're not is how far out of the comfort zone they want to go and um, how hard they want to push it. Yeah, unfortunately there's not a lot of world records being set with a conservative tune-up so uh, that's where you really do need to be walking that tightrope and trying to get the most power out while holding the engine together. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today. Now, talking about those plates there, we, we have seen, you know, they, these have come out sort of over the last few years and it uh, seems like at the moment there's a few competing brands sort of trying to, to figure out which one works and obviously everyone's got their own take on it. Uh, so can you talk to us about the particular plates in, in this engine and uh, how they're designed? The ones I like to use are made here in Sydney by a company called Billet Boss. Uh, I have used a lot of the other ones, um, and the Billet Boss ones are just the ones that I prefer to use. Um, I like the way they fit in the engine, their machining process I like, success-wise, quality control-wise, everything about the plates I, I, I like and I've had good success with them so to me if it's not broken I don't need to go messing with it too much. Now, one of the things with these billet parts is that you've obviously got the side seals running against the, the surface of this plate so this brings about a problem. The factory are cast iron which is nice and forgiving that's easy you can run the seal against that material yep. but uh, in this case aluminium very soft so you can't run a seal directly against the aluminium surface so a lot of the uh, billet side plates are uh, coated, so it's got a, a hard coating. Uh, billet Boss have gone a different way with this though. Can you talk us through how, how their plates work? Well, the Billet Boss plates have a cast iron insert, so a couple of advantages with that. If you ever stuff up a bearing or the rotor wobbles and the rotor hits the side plate, you don't need to get the plate ground. You can just replace the insert. And probably the most important thing for me is by with, with the insert, 
you can pull the insert out and it allows them to machine the plate with all the water jackets in behind it and then the plate sits on down or the face plate sits down on top of that and there's always water circulating in behind that friction area so to me that's one of the main reasons I like to use a plate with the insert because it keeps the temperature in the engine cool and consistent throughout the whole engine and you can replace that insert it's a 500 buck insert so it's not the end of the world on an engine like this where you've got tens of thousands of bucks invested if you've got to replace an insert it's no biggie definitely a lot cheaper than replacing the the whole plate absolutely and uh getting that cooling flow through those plates that's safe to assume that a lot of the other brands maybe don't do that so you've only actually got coolant flowing through the uh, rotor housings themselves yeah, the other, the other plates do have cooling that goes around the outside, but it, it can't get in behind the, the surface area of the plate. So for me, that's an important thing, and that's why one of the reasons I do like to use the Billet, Billet Boss plates. All right, so we've talked about the plates. Obviously, they're pretty well developed so far and proving to be pretty reliable. Uh, another area that uh, is a potential weak point, I guess, with the rotary engine is the actual rotors themselves. And this is an area that's interesting. In a piston engine, obviously, we have aftermarket pistons from dozens and dozens of manufacturers. And uh, in the rotary world, it seems that the factory Mazda rotor is actually still a pretty reliable thing. What, what can you say to us about those? Surprisingly, yes, the rotors are quite reliable. Um, you don't ever, or very rarely, you'll break a rotor. You can dent them, you can damage them, but every time you have an issue, it's always tuning related, or the rotors hit the housing because a bearing is, you've stuffed the bearing, and the rotor wobbles around and, and touches something. But in terms of actually breaking a rotor, there's not too many guys that are breaking rotors. So, again, what Mazda's done with a factory engine is pretty damn impressive. It's safe to assume, though, you're not taking a factory rotor straight out of its packaging from Mazda and slapping it into a 1,500-horsepower 13B. Can you talk us through some of the machining operations or some of the rework that's required uh, to make that factory rotor work in this sort of application? Yeah, well, the factory rotor comes out of the box. You side clearance it, um, so no doubt at the higher RPM, it's got a little bit of room to move. Um, clearance the faces as well so again you've got the, the, the you, you I'll make the rotor just a touch smaller so and there's to, to cut to the fact that the the rotor is actually going to move around particularly under yeah. the high boost and high rpm absolutely yeah the high boost the high rpm the two-step the revs coming up the revs coming down um cranks also flex a little bit as well so there's a lot of stuff moving Clearancing the rotors, essentially you're just making the rotor a little bit smaller, so it's got a little bit more room to do a hula dance in there if it has to. Alright, so we've talked about the rotor housings, the, the rotors, the plates there. Uh, one of the, the key aspects to getting airflow in and out of a rotary engine is the porting method, and there's various schools of thought, various techniques from uh, bridge porting to peripheral porting, and in this case you're running a semi-PP. Can you talk us through what a semi-PP is, what that means, and where you see the advantages? Well, semi-PP is essentially a peripheral port, but it's only a smaller port that goes in, in the side of the rotor housing, and you retain the side ports at the same time. A full peripheral port is block the side ports up and have a one massive big hole. On a turbo setup, 
the overlap with that big peripheral port is a little bit too much and it's very difficult to tune. So the semi-PP kind of gives you the best of both worlds. You're bringing your overlap down, but you're also getting that good flow in there. And in the methanol turbo setups, the semi-PP seems to be... Everybody's using that setup, and that's the setup that seems to be working the best. So I've spent most of my time working with that setup, and it's working, and I ain't going to touch it. When you're talking about either a full peripheral port or even a semi-PP, depending on whereabouts you actually place the port through the rotor housing, it's it's going to have quite a big effect on the port timing though. Is there still uh, a lot of sort of secrecy and power and time to be gained in the actual location of the the peripheral port or is it not really that critical? With the semi-PPs there's really not that much room to move because you drill straight through the side of the rotor housing where there's a a water jacket. So most guys with a semi-PP, port timing wise, everybody's roughly in about the same spot. Um, Your exhaust port, that is uh, probably, you've got more room to move I guess with your exhaust port. Some guys will port them down lower, some guys will port them up higher. Again, you need to port that based on where you want your power band. There's not one right or wrong way of doing it. If the port's bigger, smaller, higher, lower, all that does is have an effect on where your usable power is going to be. So you want to match your port with your turbo size, your inlet size, your gear ratios, and get a combination that all works together. So safe to say, and understandably so, a huge amount that goes into deciding on the uh, the final spec of the engine. And obviously with the second fastest 13B time in Australia right now and previous holder of the outright record in Australia, this engine's pretty dialed. So thanks for giving us a rundown on what goes into it. John, if people want to reach out and find out more about uh, your company, where can they go? Uh, probably my Facebook page is the best, uh, John Blanche Racing. Come and check that out on Facebook and um, any questions or anything, just send me a message. Perfect. Thanks for your time, John. Thanks for having me, guys. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.